Hello, Coastway Church. Joining us online today, it is so good to see you. Throughout sickness, throughout struggle, throughout stress, throughout sin, historically, the church of Jesus Christ has always done this one thing, and that is gather. We deeply believe as a church that the embodied gather, gathered expression of the people of God through the local church is a primary practice, means of worship, means of renewal. And today, obviously, our gathering looks different as a matter of pastoral precaution in light of the way that sickness has struck our church. We felt it best that we gather online only today and just know that we're already making plans. We're already preparing to gather in person back at our regular time, regular place on the campus of CCU this next Sunday. But for today, we are grateful for technology. We're grateful that we can still gather. So if you're worshiping from home, uh, your dorm room, wherever, drop a comment below. Let us know where you're worshiping from. And we truly believe that God has a word for all of us today. No matter who you are, uh, where you are, or why you're here, we're glad you're here. And we hope to see you uh, next week. Well, let me just tell you, if you're new, here's something that we would want you to know. That we are a new church that was started. We're about four months old. And we were started by a group of 25 adults, men, women, and children, who moved our lives from three cities and three sending churches in the state of North Carolina to enable a movement of the gospel in Myrtle Beach and Conway. And so far, God has proven faithful uh, in allowing us to prove fruitful. We have multiplied spiritually, numerically, organizationally, and it's been at an unlikely time. It's been in a difficult time, but uh, nonetheless, we are grateful for the growth that we have seen. And a big part of what has enabled the growth of Coastway Church so far is something that we talk about all the time. And I want to mention it right now. It's called the Weekender. So the Weekender is the on-ramp and the inroad to everything meaningful within Coastway Church. A meaningful mission, meaningful ministry, meaningful membership, and everything in between. And typically what we see is that there's three types of people who are really compelled by what we're doing and attracted to being a part of a new church. And maybe you fit into you know just one of these types or all three. Uh, number one, it's people who recently moved here, recently moved to Myrtle Beach and Conway. It's people who are personally moved by the vision and the mission that God has given us to be a church that's built on scripture, prayer, and relationships with a focus on making disciples who make disciples. Uh, so you moved here, you're moved by, or you're just ready to get moving. You say, hey, listen, I am not about sideline spirituality. Uh, I'm not about, about being a bench warmer. I want to get involved in what God is doing around me and what God could do through me. If that's you, if I just described you in any of those levels, I want to encourage you to go online, coastwaychurch.com slash weekender, and secure your seat. It's coming up January 28th, Friday evening. We're going to serve you dinner. We're going to take care of the kids, and we're going to give you the direction that our young church is moving. We would love to see you there. So here's where we're at. Whether it's on your app or in your lap, go ahead and join me in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 3 through 12. And what we are doing is we are in week 2 of a verse-by-verse study on Peter's letter to the scattered church. And the, the series is called City in a City. 
And uh, the book of 1 Peter was written by Peter, one of Jesus' three closest friends during his life and labor on earth. And a major theme of 1 Peter, and really the entire Bible, is how as we as Christians are not removed from the world, but we're actually left to remain in the world as a city in a city. So the whole premise of this is that as Christ followers, we, our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of more than what you see. We are citizens of an eternal celestial city whose builder and whose maker is God. And we, we saw this last week that while we remain among the city of man, we do so as strange citizens, or as Peter would say, elect exiles. So basically what that means is that we are wanted by God, but we are rejected by the world. Nevertheless, we're still sent into the world to be an attractive alternative to make a, a difference by being different. And the big question is, how do we do this? How do we walk in a world that doesn't want us? How do we remain in a world that often rejects us? And a part of this, a big part of this, is seen in how we process God's presence through our trials. So for many of us, I think our problem, and I think we all struggle with this on some level, our problem is that we want life to be easy. And we go throughout life and we just expect for uh, things to, to not be too hard or not hurt too much. And if we, if we really, if we continue with this mindset, we're going to develop what might be called a pillow fight faith. I don't know if you've ever been involved in a pillow fight before, but basically it's not a real fight. It's a fake fight. And so you pretend like you're really tough and you come in with those hard blows and those left pillow hooks, or you take one for the team. But all the while, it, it's, it's not real. It's, it's, it's cushioned. It's padded. And I think that's the way that we're tempted to think in our cultural moment about faith is we don't want the trials to hurt too much and we don't want them to last too long. But the reality is, if you could see the bigger picture of what God is doing, of, of what God is preparing, you wouldn't settle for an easy life. You wouldn't settle for soft and safe. You wouldn't be content with easy and breezy. I mean, just, just think about it. We, we don't do this with the movies that we watch. I mean, just imagine if every movie that you watch was a bunch of beautiful people with fruity drinks in hand and plenty of money in their bank, bank accounts and no trials, no obstacles. We would be like, boring. I'm not watching that. That's, that's, not, why, that's not why I came. That, that doesn't, that's not relatable. I can't, I can't be drawn into something like that. Or think about uh, the people who you most admire. I would be willing to wager that the people who you respect the most, even the people who you trust the most, have persevered through some pain. I think about we're, we're getting ready to celebrate the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. just tomorrow. And what is it that we celebrate about uh, Dr. King's life? Well, we celebrate that he was tested, he was tempted through, through a furnace of trial, even treated unjustly, but his character was forged through that, and he made a way for civil rights to move forward. So we celebrate not that his life was easy, but that he persevered through trial. Or maybe you've heard of this guy named Walt Disney. Uh, interestingly enough, at Walt Disney's first editorial job at the Kansas City Star, he was fired. He was fired, and here was the reason. Walt, you're not creative enough. Man, swing and a miss. Talk, talk about getting, getting it wrong with somebody. Aren't we glad he didn't quit? Or think about Thomas Edison, the, the inventor of the light bulb. 
Uh, Thomas Edison, he went through thousands of failed prototypes of the light bulb before he actually got to one that worked. And all along, what many of his peers and contemporaries were telling him is, hey, listen, Tom, this is a fool's errand. There's, there's no way that this is going to work. And I love his response. He said, no, 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 I have not failed. I just found 10,000 ways not to make a light bulb. Here's what's so great about the Bible. It's honest. It doesn't treat life like it's a pillow fight. It doesn't tell you that life is going to be cushioned, padded, and easy. And here's a big theme in one of the ways that it's honest. If you want God to make you strong, then He must first let you suffer. It is in the furnace of suffering that we are made strong. Jesus talks about this. Paul talks about this. Peter talks about this. James talks about this. Esther experienced this. Ruth experienced this. Mary experienced this. And and here it is. This is kind of a summary of what we see in life and in the text is that life is hard. It's a hard time to be a parent. It's a hard time to be a teacher. It's a hard time to be a nurse. It's a hard time to be a pastor. It's a hard time to be a student. It's a hard time to be a teenager. It's a hard time to be a child. It's a hard time to be elderly. None of us get a hall pass on how hard life is. Life is hard. Trials are certain. But through it all, God is good. That's just a summary of of how life can be lived through a Christian lens. You see, the city of man doesn't care so much about the scripture in your Instagram bio or all that spiritual happy talk and Christian cliches whenever life is going well. No, what the city of man will notice is that a trust in God that is refined and defined through trials. That's what the city of man will notice. That's what a watching world will realize. I mean, think about it. When your marriage is under fire, what's your God view? Or or even when you're being tempted to compromise, what's your God view? When when the kids are acting buck wild, what's your your God view? When when your health is, is declining... What is your God view? The question that we must rumble with in these moments, is Jesus real to you then? Let me just go ahead and give you uh, the sermon in a sentence. And this is what we're going to unpack for the rest of our time together today is this. As citizens of a better city, we trust God through trials. So this is just going to come straight out of the text, just so you know if you're new to Coastway Church and you just want to know a little bit about what we're about. Uh, we don't just share our opinions. This is not Jeremy up here talking, giving uh, advice about we think, what we think or what I think about the world. This is straight out of God's Word. And it comes not as good advice, but as good news. Verse 3, take a look. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this... You rejoice. What is this? It's your salvation. It's the strength of the Lord. It's the trust through trial. 
Though now, for a little while, that's your life. It's interesting how Peter talks about our life. You ever watch a movie at the end, you see the, the credit scroll at the end, and you'll see all those names. Nobody really reads those names. But that's, that's a summary of our life in the scope of eternity. It's only for a little while. It's like our name, it just like scrolls down uh, the, the, the screen of history, and then it's over. And what did we do with God's Son is going to determine where we spend the rest of our true and eternal life. It's just for a while, but if necessary. I love that. That means there's a purpose. This is not wasted pain. You have been grieved by various trials. So here's what Peter is saying. There always has, there always will be trials in our lives. Don't be naive. Don't be fooled. It's not a matter of if we're going to experience trials. It's a matter of when and how we will experience trials. The reality is, you are either coming from, walking through, or headed into a trial. It's the way that life works. And even people who say, man, life is just so good. That's, that's great. Uh, glad for you. But you're only one relationship away from a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. Because the more people that you welcome into your life, the more people you're related to, the more friends that you have, the more people that you love, the more that you are opening your life up to a trial of some sort. And this makes me think about our church. We're, we're young, we're, we're growing, but we're already large enough to where someone every single day is suffering. And so we got, we got to be tutored by Jesus in how to face trials. We got to breathe in the gospel so that we, when we go to that deep and dark place, and, and some of us, we're there right now. We can still have hope and we can still have help. We've got to prepare for the trial. So what is a trial? Well, a trial, uh, the word for trials, in fact, shows up 21 times in the New Testament, and it can also be translated as a test or a temptation. So if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this down. Uh, a trial is something that tests your faith and tempts you to fall. So imagine being in a court of law and a lawyer by the name of trial looks you squarely and asks you this question. How much do you really believe that God cares? How much do you really believe that God controls? Every trial, whether you realize it or not, is asking you this question. It's a test to how much you believe it. And it's a temptation to disbelieve it. So Peter says that these trials, these tests, these temptations, they come in various multicolored forms. And what happens is they vary in the frequency, how often they're going to happen. They vary in their duration, like how long it's going to happen. They vary in their intensity, like how much is this really going to hurt? And they also vary in the, the type. And so there are various trials that we experience. And what I want to do is I just want to give us an overview of the various trials that we're walking through in this moment. Maybe you're facing one of these right now. First of all, there are physical trials. There are physical trials. Some of you, you're watching and you're sick. It's not forever, but it's definitely not fun. You're just like, man, I am ready for this to be over. I'm ready to get back to my feet and to my friends, to my family. And I'm ready for this to be done. Others of you, you're not just sick for now. You've been sick for a long time. You've dealt with illness and injury, disability, 
And it's just become a big part of the narrative of your life. You're like, I don't want to go to another doctor's appointment. I, I, I don't want to have to endure another treatment. And, and, and in fact, that's a big reason why we're gathering online today is because sickness has struck our church. And if you're affected by this, I, I want to just take a moment right now and I want to pause the message and I want to pray for you. If you're on the other side of that screen, you or someone you know is sick, I want to pray for you right now. So let's pause and pray. Father, we call upon you in the day of trouble, in the day of trial. We want to glorify you, but we ask that you would deliver us. And God, we know that you don't typically deliver from, you deliver through. And so even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even as we process sickness and stress for those who have been affected and afflicted, God, I pray that your presence would prevail. I pray that your peace would be applied. God, would you be our refuge and strength? Would you move our church forward through trials? And may we come out on the other side trusting you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there are physical trials. There are also relational trials. Some of you, marriage is just not easy right now. In fact, it's really hard. The kids are wearing you out. That friend who you thought was going to be your BFF is no longer all that BFF. And you don't, you don't talk, you don't text. And maybe you got a difficult coworker or a difficult uh, boss or a roommate. But here's the thing, you know, life is only as good as the relationships that are closest to us. These are relational trials. And this is why we mentioned that the weekender is so important. The weekender is so important because what, what it does is it, it can connect you to God as Father, the church as family. Because what we say around Coastway Church, and we believe this, is that having a biblical community, a biblical family, is going to make the good times twice as good and the bad times half as bad. There's also there's emotional and mental trials that we go through. Some of you, you have a bro broken body. Others of you, you have a broken brain. And I do not say that lightly. There, there are mental, emotional knots, that, and some of it, maybe it just started with this year. Maybe it's been going on for the past couple years. Maybe you've been dealing with this your entire life. But there are some knots that you just can't get untied. Maybe you're, you're schizophrenic, or you, you deal with bipolar, or you're just chronically depressed, or, or you find yourself dealing with severe anxiety, or, or maybe even suicidal thoughts. And it's, it's a scary place to be. It's a very real and present trial. Then there are financial trials. It's like, man, we're having a hard time paying the bills. The student loans are not going away. That consumer debt just keeps following me around like a specter that haunts me and keeps me up. Money comes up often, and when it does, it leaves you overwhelmed. And that's, that's part of the trial that you're walking through right now. Others, you're, you're dealing with a spiritual trial. You're dealing with a spiritual trial where you are being uniquely tempted, and your faith is being uniquely tested. Maybe you have people in your life, they're persecuting you socially, verbally, for your faith. Maybe there's something dark and demonic that has yet to come into the light that you're dealing with, and it's just pinning you to the mat, and you know it. It's a trial. Here's what we know. There's a big difference between the way that the city of man responds to trials and the way the city of God responds to trials. So the city of man, the world as it's arrayed in rebellion and redefinition against God, here's what the world is going to do in the face of trials. Get vengeful, get resentful, and get sinful. 
You know, this is the trio response of how the world, the city of man, is going to respond to trials. Do I even have to say it doesn't work? Being vengeful, being resentful, being simple, it doesn't get you farther down the field of life. It, sure, it certainly does not help any of our faith. But it's so easy to do. And yet Jesus offers us a better way to respond. And so what I want to do, I want to spend the rest of our time together online today walking through four things you can do, you should do, you must do if you're going to trust uh, God through your trial. And so the first one is this. You need to bless God through the trial. I love the layout of Peter's letter. Because when you get to verse 3, you're not even into the letter. And there's so much persecution. There's so much hardship that's going on. But the first thing that Peter presses in to do, the first priority on Peter's mind is blessing God. He's blessing Him back, and he's giving Him credit. And I, I would say that if we would follow this pattern, we would have a better perspective. Take a look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So most often, what do we think about when we think about blessing? Well, we think about, well, God, you need to bless me, or God's blessing us. But in this context, it's us blessing God. So what does blessed really mean? Okay, it's more than a hashtag. It's more than some Christian cliche or happy talk. Blessed means glad-hearted, joyful worship of God. That's When we do those things, we are blessing God. And Peter tells us why we can and why we should bless God through trials. So notice how in verse 6 he says, in this. You what? You rejoice. He's not saying you rejoice that life is hard. He's not, it's not that he's saying you rejoice that you're really uncomfortable. He's pointing back to everything he just described in verses 3 through 5. The, the, the gifts, these are gifts and graces that your trials can't take. And that's, that's what makes the hope living. That's what makes uh, Peter in a place that even though you know, he's, he's not far from death row, he would go on to be executed for his faith, in fact. You know, he's not in a comfortable situation in Rome. But here he is. He's blessing God. So take a look at verse 3. He, he gives all the reasons. And he, what he does is he just surveys salvation. He says, these are things the world can't take. And these are things that will give you a hope beyond your circumstance. Verse 3, we bless God because of what? His great mercy. So mercy and grace are immediate family. Uh, you could almost say that they're twins, but they are uniquely similar, distinct enough to where you can deal with them separately. The New Testament writers talk about mercy and grace because they are distinctively uh, distinct but unique. So essentially, when you think about grace... Yeah, think about God's loving kindness applied to your sin. God sees you sinning even as you're sinning. He pours out grace. He doesn't treat you as your sins deserve. But when you think about mercy, think about God's loving kindness applied to your suffering. He sees you suffer. He sees you hurt. He knows you need help. He hears you cry out. And so what he's doing is he's doing more to reach out and rescue you from the depths of your sin, he's reaching out with his heart to relate to you as you suffer. Loved ones, you do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize, relate to your suffering. He is mighty, but he is merciful. Next, we see that we bless God because he made us to be born again. This, the meaning of this is very simple. 
God has resurrected our souls from death and disobedience. He's now breathed His life, spiritual life, into our lungs. And so He has made us spiritually alive. I just want you to imagine that you're sinking to the depths of the ocean. You're losing consciousness. It would be a terrible place to be. It's deep, it's dark, and you, you can't get yourself out of it. Then you sink to the bottom, and just for a moment, you regain enough consciousness, and you think, I'm going to save myself. I'm going to be my own lifeguard. Well, trying to navigate trust through trial, trying to persevere through pain without being spiritually alive is a lot like being at the bottom of the ocean and trying to be your own lifeguard. You need someone stronger. You need someone who will give you more reason and resource than what you currently have to reach down and bring you out of the depths. And that's what being born again does. Nothing that we're talking about today is possible None of this can be faced with faith until you are born again. And so I would just say, if you're listening and you've not surrendered your sin, you've not surrendered yourself to Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, that's where you start. That's where the war starts to be won, is when you recognize that you can't win it in your own power. Next, we bless God because He gave us, a, love this, a living hope. So a living hope is in the resurrection of Jesus. We have a living hope because we have a living Lord. He's risen. He's reigning. He's returning. This is the promise. This is the hope that is held out to us. And what makes this hope living is how it can't be taken from you even when life is hard. So Christian, let me ask you this question. Where is your hope really? I think the reason why we face so much despair and discouragement is because we have a dying hope and not a living hope. A dying hope is a hope that is staked in what God doesn't promise. It's a hope that's staked in something that, can't, that is temporary and that can be taken from you. So if we're, we were going to get to the bottom of the ocean of your hope, you, it, it would get down to this. I want to be married. I want to have kids. I want to be gorgeous. <laughs> I want to be healthy. I want people to recognize me. And I'm not saying, I, I, hope, I hope all these good things happen to you. I'm not saying any of these things are bad, but what, I, what we are saying, what Peter is saying is that they're not big enough. They're not big enough to withstand your weightiest hopes. They are dying hopes that can be taken, not a living hope that can be trusted. This makes me think of the Austrian Holocaust survivor by the name of Victor Frankel. So Frankel, he wrote a book on his experience of suffering in Nazi concentration camps, even Auschwitz. And he said that there were four ways that the prisoners of war would respond, would would, uh, rumble with the reality of being subjected to such torture and inhumane treatment. Some would just respond, they would just be brutal and cruel. They would say, it's dog eat dog. And so i got to take care of myself so that if I'm going to suffer, I'm going to suffer less than you. That was the philosophy. Others would just say that they would just give up. And they would, they would say, I'm not going out to the compound. Uh, I'm not leaving my bunk today. They can beat me. They can kill me. They can leave me here. I'm, I'm done. I can't deal with this anymore. Others would just say, I'm just going to get through it. I'm going to get through it, and I'm going to restart the business. I'm going to reunite with my family. Amazingly, even those people who did get through it, they would get out and they couldn't restart. They couldn't 
reunite in a way, and, and many of them even actually having uh, suicidal thoughts and would even go on to die of suicide. But what Frankel noticed is that those who persevered through the pain and even flourished on the other side of the Holocaust were those who had what he called a hope beyond this world. They had a fixed reference point that was bigger and unchanging than what this world could offer, that no amount of trial and no amount of troubles can take away. And we know this is the hope that Peter is talking about. We know that this hope is settled and secured in the person of Jesus Christ. And so next we see that we bless God because He secured an inheritance which is guarded through faith. So I want you just to imagine for a moment, because we, yeah, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're an heir to a great inheritance. If so, you know, God bless you, congratulations, that's, that's awesome. Uh, most of us probably wish that we were you, so you're in a good place. But we kind of lose sight of this idea of what does it mean to have an eternal inheritance. And just think about it this way. Uh, just imagine that you get a phone call just out of nowhere, and you discover that you are the heir apparent to a multi-billion dollar inheritance. And it's being held and kept in this secure gated mansion for you. And so what you do is it's available like you can take advantage of it. And so you hop in your car, you start driving over there, and your car breaks down. You're about half a mile away from this mansion where all the wealth is, is, is kept for you with your name on it. You're about a half a mile away. You get out, your car breaks down, and then you start walking to that inheritance, and then you trip and you skin your knee. And then the next thing you know, you get up and you're kind of frustrated, and there's a $10 bill that goes like flying across the street, and you like go after chasing it. And all of a sudden, all you can think about is that beater car that's giving you trouble that skin knee that hurts just a little bit, and that $10 bill that you can't reach. And next thing you know, you start talking, thinking about that person who dumped you who shouldn't have, or, or you know, all the people who uh, should have given you more recognition or how hard your life is. This is actual footage of what happens to the Christian. We're, you're, we're closer to home than we think that we are. And the reason why we get so caught up in the cares and concerns of this world and the trials and troubles feel like such a big, big deal is because we have lost sight of our inheritance. And Peter urges the scattered churches and us today, don't lose sight of your inheritance. When you're an heir to a great fortune, here's why this is so important. When you know it and you're confident of it, you feel a freedom to take risks. And this is the way that the Christian life is supposed to work. It's, it's supposed to be a life of risk where we don't play it safe, where we don't make it our aim to be soft. But instead, what we say, we say is, like, I've got eternal comfort, I'm going to have eternal convenience, and I know the one who's in eternal control, so I can risk comfort until I get home. I, I, can, I can risk some convenience and some control on my way there to that inheritance. Did you know this is why Coastway Church exists? And there were times when the city of man looked at those of us who picked up our lives, picked up our jobs, kissed our family goodbye from living right down the street and moved to Myrtle Beach for the sake of mission. The reason why we did this is because we know that there is an inheritance that is waiting on us. And we want more people in a place that is progressively post-Christian to have that same hope and help and that same inheritance. And this is the way our church started. This is the way that our church will move forward. So you got to bless God through the trial. Next, you need to believe there is a purpose through the trial. Take a look at verse 6. 
In this you rejoice. Again, that's great mercy, born again, living hope, an inheritance. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So take note of that phrase, for a little while. That means that your pain is not permanent. You see, for the Christ follower, the the trial won't last forever. And, And this is as bad as it's ever going to get for you. But, but for those who resist and reject and rebel against God and Christ, this is as good as it will ever get for you. This is as good as it will ever get for the city of man. And so we hold out a greater hope in, in the gospel. But when we enter glory, here's what it's going to be like. We'll look back on the scope of our life, all the sufferings, all the sickness, everything that you're dealing with right now that just leaves you in distress, and we'll say that was, that was nothing more than an overnight stay in an inconvenient hotel. The pain is not permanent. Next, Peter says, if necessary. So this means your pain has a purpose. See, Peter understood what we so often miss. God doesn't waste pain on you. He doesn't waste pain on his people. As C.S. Lewis said, there's always a card in his hand that we don't know about. But what's so hard is that we often can't see that purpose at first. I'll give you a silly example of this. So I think this was like right at the beginning of the pandemic in March of like 2020. I was at home and our daughter, Eleanor, she was like maybe two and a half years old at at the time. And I was just, I was sitting in our living room and all of a sudden the channels on the TV just kept like scrolling through without any prompting. And I was like, man, am I on like an episode of Stranger Things or something? Somebody got me bugged, like, what is going on? And so I, like, turned the house upside down trying to find the remote and figure out why is the TV, like, acting on its own. And I did about 30 minutes of this. It, I mean, it was a frenzy. And then I go, we, I go upstairs with Eleanor, and I'm going to change her diaper. And uh, little do I know that whenever I go to change her diaper, she had dropped the Apple TV remote in her onesie. And so, every time she moved... The, 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 the TV would, would be triggered and something would go on. And I say this, there's hope in this. Because if, if, there was a, if there was a reason why something as silly as that was happening that I couldn't see, could there not be a reason that something as serious as your suffering is behind the scenes that you can't see? You see, we're far too proud We think that we know too much, but God always has a card in His hand that we don't know about. We don't even have to wonder what this is because Peter reveals the purpose. Verse 7, it's so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what we see is that the purpose of trials, it's very simple. Test your faith to prove it true. A faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. You see, in the days of the the New Testament, the only way to know if gold was real was to throw it in the fire. And if it melted away, then it wasn't gold. It was phony. But if it remained, then it was genuine. It was a precious metal preserved even through the fire. And this is such a brilliant analogy because a false faith won't make it through the fire. And God wants you to have a genuine faith. God wants you to be glowing with glory in preparation for the inheritance that He has 
entrusted to you that he keeps for you. And so he's got to test us now. He's got to see that our faith will be proven genuine now. How much do we really believe him? This is what the epic Christian novel, The Pilgrim's Progress, is all about. I recently picked up this classic uh, epic of, of the Christian life. It's just a summary of all the experiences written like back in the 1600s by a guy named John Bunyan. And the story starts with a character named Christian who is burdened by the Word of God. He's like, I'm not living my life this way. This, this isn't what my life is built around. And so he makes the decision that he's going to leave the city of destruction and take off on a dangerous pilgrimage to the city of light. And along the way, he runs into a lot of obstacles and opposition, and he'll meet a myriad of characters. And one of those characters, right when he leaves the city of destruction, is named uh, Pliable. And he casts the vision of the kingdom, of a better king, of a better country, to Pliable. And Pliable says, I'm about this. I want to I experience this. And so no sooner do they take off, but they face opposition. And they fall into this swampy mire, and Pliable gets out... And he just says, if this is what that pilgrimage is going to look like, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I'm going back to what I know. And so his faith was tested. It couldn't be trusted. But Christian presses on. And the way that he presses on is with the hope held out in 1 Peter. He says, I see it. I'm focused on it. There's a better city. There's a better kingdom. There's a better king. And when he welcomes me, it will all be worth it. And speaking of, notice what Peter says in verse 7. The result of trusting through trial is this. Praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I, I remember teaching this, this scripture many years ago, and I got, I got this part wrong, because I thought that Peter was saying that we will praise God. And it does say that, and that's true in other places, but in this context, what, what Peter is saying, and you know, I checked every commentary on my shelf that I could find just to make sure this is what was actually being communicated, and what's being said is that at the revelation of Jesus, He will reward you with praise, with glory, and honor for trusting Him through trial. It's a mind-blowing concept. It's so powerful. I can see it now. Jesus is standing with open arms welcoming you home. I don't know what you hope that He'll say to you. I'll share with you some of just what I hope that He would say to me. I imagine that He would, and I hope that He would say, Hey, Jeremy, listen, I understand that at the age of 15... Your father was paralyzed from the neck down in a car accident. And that left him immobile from the neck down, and it devastated you and your family from the soul down. I know that grieved you. I know that that meant that you had to grow up quicker than you were ready to. And, and I know that that could have been something that just totally pushed you away from me. But you pressed through the pain, you saw me, and you trusted me through the trial. And because of that, by the way, here, that's your earthly father, he's right here. The wheelchair's gone. You're not going to see it again. Oh, and by the way, because you pressed through that pain, because you trusted me through trial, there's more people here, others. Do you see these people? They're here because you trusted me through trial. Well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome home. Your faith has become sight. What do you hope he'll say to you? When he brings you close, he wipes your tears and he calls your name. Listen, maybe he'll say, hey, I know the pregnancy was unplanned. And it was hard. I, I, I know that the abuse you endured as a child devastated you. Listen, I, I know that it was hard being sick so much. 
I, I know that that pandemic was difficult. I know that those days of infertility were hard. I know that moving to Myrtle Beach took a lot out of you and took a lot out of your family. But you trusted me through trial. And for that, be welcomed home. Well done. Your faith has become sight. So this is what Peter is saying. He's saying that the greatest reward you will ever receive is the affirmation of your father on the other side of your trial. Loved ones, this is what we live for. This is the hope held out to us. He goes on, verse 8, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Rejoice with joy. It's double joy. It's, it's overflowing with a joy that the world can't understand and that we have a hard time articulating. It's filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The next thing that we can do, should do, must do, to trust God through our trial is we must behold Christ through the trial. But Peter's like, hey guys, listen, I get it. I saw Jesus. <laughs> you didn't. I walked with him. You, you didn't physically. But just because you haven't seen him physically doesn't mean that he is any less present or visible to you spiritually, relationally, personally. Peter goes on. He talks about inexpressible joy through trial. And that's emotional language. You see, trials are tricky because they have such a huge impact on our emotions. They can minimize our vision of Jesus or they can magnify our vision of Jesus. We can say, God, if you're so good, why would you let bad things happen to me? And if you're human, you're going to ask that from time to time. It's an okay place to visit. It's a bad place to live. Or you could ask another question, God, since I'm so corrupt and I'm so evil and I've, I've, I've run so far from you, how could you let good things happen to me? That's a, that's a more faithful question. We could ask things like, by good, I'm not talking about like your team winning or a promotion at work or another season of that Netflix series or your Amazon package showing up on your doorstep a day early. No, we're talking about the greatest good, the good that trials and troubles can't take, that God gives graces, mercy, spiritual life, living hope, an imperishable inheritance kept in heaven for you, guarded by faith. And Peter says, when you have these things, it will lead to joy. It will lead to a dynamic, emotionally responsive relationship with Jesus Christ, and you'll see Him clearly. You see the incarnation. Jesus comes down wrapped in flesh. He walks into the wounds that we experience, and you see Him doing that. You see a crucified King on the cross, not just hurting with you, but hurting for you. You see Him. And then you see Him risen, securing your resurrection. So yes, there's sadness. This world is hard, but there's joy. It doesn't last forever. Verse 10. <clears throat> Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So the next thing that you can do, you must do through the trial, is you must bear witness to Christ. 
through the trial. Notice how the prophets predicted, the angels pondered, but only you and I get to preach it. The prophets predicted the sufferings of Christ, we see. You see, when you understand that the the main theme of Scripture is a God who suffers innocently, tragically, violently, and unjustly for you, then you won't be so surprised when suffering happens to you. It's like, I walk in the way of that master. I live my life according to the pattern of a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And this was all the prophets, Moses, Isaiah, Daniel, Jeremiah, the whole Old Testament. It's all they could live for. It's all they could talk about. They, they announced it to us. And then there's the angels. The angels pondered. The angels were present. They filled heaven with glory at the birth of Jesus. They were there to roll the stone away whenever victory had been secured. And yet, all they can think about is the gospel. They're obsessed with it. They long to look at it. But the one thing that leaves the angels in hushed silence is God's suffering and dying for rebel sinners. They just can't get over it. So, And, and you and I, the, the prophets predicted, the angels pondered, you and I get to preach it. Loved one, understand, your trial is your testimony. Your trial is your testimony. You, through that trial, you can bear witness to the only one who can sympathize with the trials and see you through the trials, and the same for those who are far from God but close to you. You see, Jesus faced all these various trials before you ever would and more than you ever will. He faced physical trials. He was beaten and he was crucified, hung on a cross in your place. He faced relational trials. He was rejected. He was misunderstood. All in our place. Uh, He was emotionally uh, pressed. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was spiritually tested and tempted at every turn. And he would even say on the cross, God, why would you allow this? And yet when, when Jesus appeared to his disciples, the first thing he showed them, what was it? It was the very thing that we worked so hard to hide. His scars. And that, that's because in those scars, God was telling a story. And that story was one of God's character that is more clearly beheld in times of suffering, than even in times of ease. And if that's the way it was for Jesus, the same is going to be true for us. Your trial can be your testimony. Your scars can be your story. In Christ, no pain is wasted. And yes, you know, we should always bear witness to the cross, to the resurrection, to the living hope of the gospel, but it's particularly important to bear witness when you're tested through a trial. And here's why. The, the one thing that the world just doesn't have an answer for is suffering. Throughout human history, it has left the city of man puzzled and confused. It's like, why do we suffer? And so in, in this suffering, the world can get silent. The only time when the people around you, the city of man, is going to get silent is when they see you suffer. Why? It's not because they wouldn't say anything. It's just that they they don't know what to say. They don't have an answer. But we do have an answer. And this is why your pain can be a platform. And in the silence of those who are far from God but close to you, as you suffer, you can share with them. You can bear witness. You can speak up. You can say, God, Jesus is worthy He's seeing me through my trial, and He will see you 
through your trial if you will trust Him. And this is why as citizens of a better city, we trust God through trial. I, I pray that my life would be marked by this. I pray that for you. I just want to pray it right now. If you would bow your heads wherever you are, watching online, your living room, your dorm, on your phone. God, would you meet us here? Uh, on an unlikely weekend, when otherwise church would be canceled, church continues. Your word still goes forth. And so, Father, I pray that we would be people who remain steadfast through trial. And in remaining steadfast through trial, we would behold you. We would bless you. We would believe that there's a purpose. And God, that we would even bear witness to you through the pain. And in so doing, receive the crown of life that is promised to those who love you and who walk with you. God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the living hope that we talked about today. May it be personal in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.